Father, thank you for gathering us together here tonight. Electronically and in person, we thank you for the opportunity to be here at Northern Hills Bible Chapel and to sing the song of standing on the promises of God. What a joy it is to be a Christian, and we thank you, dear God. Thank you for the love of your creation unfolding to us each day, the blessed beauty of, of your love. We thank you, and we pray that we might continue to walk and serve and, and to be a testimony for you until you call us home to glory. So we give you this night, and we ask for your blessings on it, thanking you again for both Mr. and Mrs. Steve and Alice Herzig coming to Cincinnati and to share this weekend with us. What a joy it is to be in your word together. So bless Steve as he talks with us here tonight. Bless our meetings, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks. It's great to be here with you. And I was wondering if you could help me out. There's four points that I've been going through, and I've tried to review them each time that I've gotten up. I was wondering if you can help me out. Anybody know point number one? Oh, boy. The church is not with her Savior. That's right. God is still in the process of gathering his church as uh, the gospel's still going out, but the future of the church is at one point in time, God's going to snatch us up, uh, those who are alive and those who are dead are going to rise together, uh, first the dead in Christ, then those who are alive, and meet him in the air. There's going to be a meeting in the air. That's an old uh, hymn that Christians have sung through the years. That's number one. It hasn't happened yet, and in order for things to to be peaceful, in order for there to be order, in order for there to be what God intended, that's the first thing that has to happen. Any, what's number two? Israel must be fully restored in the land. That's point number two. God has certainly uh, reconstituted the modern state of Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about that this evening. But that has to happen in the sense that they're all back in the land and they are redeemed. That is, they know their Messiah. They're back in the land in peace. Point number three, Satan's got to be defeated. Put in prison. Justice must be served. And as far as Satan's concerned, he's the deceiver of the nations. Now, God has allowed him to do that. Even though he was defeated at the cross, he still, and boy, aren't we living it? Delusion. Uh, we wonder, those of us with eyes to see, we wonder, but yes, Satan has to be put in prison. And point number four, Jesus Christ must be on David's throne. He's on a throne, and I, he's on a throne already in heaven, but there's coming a day when Israel is completely restored that the king will return. The promises that he gave in the text of Scripture is going to happen. And when all those four points are met, there will be peace. There will be order. Well, I'd like to talk about the situation in the Middle East today. The situation is a constant mess. If you pay any attention, it is a constant mess because its politics are in a constant distress. So it's in a mess because of its politics and distress, but God gave Israel a promise of a future where they would be blessed. So we're going to talk about today a constant mess, and that's Israel's 
situation. If you change the slide for us, hopefully it works to change it. Uh, there we go. The situation is a constant mess. Uh, and when we, we think about that, I, I want to talk about Israel and its strategic uh, place. Its strategic place. How is it so strategic? Well, first of all, it's geographically strategic. Israel is the land bridge between three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. It's, when you read all the old biblical books, the prophets, and read of, starting even in the Torah and Genesis, you realize that at that period of time and to this day, in order by land to get to various places, you got to go through Israel. And it's a strategic place, it's, yet it's the size of New Jersey. Uh, our office, home office, is in New Jersey. It's 10,000 square miles. You could put 16 Israels in the state of California. You could drop Israel in like Michigan and still water ski around, around. Uh, so it completely could be submerged in Lake Michigan. And so it's a strategic place geographically. It's a strategic place economically. You know, when Israel was reestablished, it had swamp. It was very uh, slightly populated. Uh, today, it's a thriving place. Uh, it was always joked, Golda Meir joked that Moses turned, made a wrong turn, uh, and there was no oil. And yet today, uh, uh, Israel has found gas, natural gas, off its coast. It is exporting gas. It is the leader in startup nations. Uh, it is the uh, Middle East location for tech. It is a place where medical research has affected even us in America today. And the joke has been, if you heard of BDS, that is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, which is something that's happening around the United States and certainly in Europe. The joke is that if a, a person's in the hospital and wants to boycott Israel, they don't want to use any Israeli goods. Well, then they would probably have to give up certain medicines that they're taking. They might have to give up the equipment that is used to save their life. All kinds of procedures were invented and uh, lots of machinery invented. And so the idea of BDS, in fact, they'd have to give up their phone. Much of the internal aspects of our common cell phone today is really made in Israel. So Israel's uh, geographically strategic, it's, it's economically strategic, and it's religiously st strategic. One of the issues in Israel is the three major religions are centered in Israel. You've got certainly Judaism. And for those of you who've been to Israel, you already know that we, when we take our trips, we take you to the, uh, to the Western Wall the Temple Mount, we sometimes stand on the Mount of Olives and look down on the Temple Mount, but there's no temple there. There used to be, there was uh, the Davidic Temple, there was Solomon's Temple, uh, but today there's a mosque, the Alaska Mosque is at one side, and the Dome of the Rock is in the middle. Those are the famous pictures. So three major religions. You have Judaism, you have Islam, and you have Christianity. Why, why do so many Christians go there? That's the land of the Bible. That's the land that Jesus walked. And so that's a, a very important 
aspect as well. Israel's politically strategic. Almost all of us, uh, after World War II, so that means most of us, know and grew up with a president trying to bring peace to the Middle East. It has been going on for most of our lifetimes, if not all of our lifetimes. Every president wanted to have a legacy of bringing peace to Israel. Each one running on a platform of how they're going to do it when no one else could. We're still looking for that person. There might be a, a question mark for this current president who has elected to go a little different route. And I could tell you that uh, in 1979, a Democrat president, Jimmy Carter, uh, met uh, in, in, uh, with Israel and Egypt and signed a treaty and exchanged land for peace. And it's worked. So for those people who say land for peace can never work, it's not true. It already has worked. And there's been peace for a long time. I could tell you that in 1994, under Bill Clinton, Jordan signed a peace agreement with Israel. Israel gave up a little land and assurances. And I can tell you that between Jordan and Israel, there's peace. I'm not telling you they're bosom buddies, but I am telling you that there's peace. There, uh, Israel feels no threat from Egypt. They feel no threat from Jordan. But it's been 26 years since that last peace. And nothing has happened. And yet, in one month, there wasn't signed peace with the Palestinians, as most presidents were seeking to arrange, as Israel and the Palestinians have gotten together. We know in 93, there was the Oslo Agreement, again with uh, President Clinton and Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin, who gave, really was killed because of that um, treaty that was supposed to be signed. But that never really worked. But lately, Israel's had two peace agreements with two Arab nations. And unfortunately, this is just my opinion, the media has chosen not to really talk a lot about those when I think they're missing an opportunity. I'm telling you that what took place between two Arab nations, two Arab nations have said, we recognize the existence of a Jewish state. That is amazing. Because for years, and we'll talk about it, for years, uh, they've been, most of the Arab community is denying even the existence of a Jewish state. So when we talk about the strategy, Israel is politically strategic because countries have wanted peace. It seems to be a major problem. Um, and so they're always looking for peace which means there isn't peace, which means another truth, while we've watched presidents try to uh, get their legacy, the reason is because of all the violence that has taken place in Israel, all kinds of suffering and violence. And then lastly, Israel is strategic because of Christian eschatology. Now, I will tell you that there's some Christians who who don't even want to talk about eschatology. I understand that. There's other issues to talk about. We face in the local church today, there's all kinds of issues that are going on that, that need attention. And counseling is a major part of the sheep are hurting. And 
God's shepherds, his overseers here on earth are dealing with lots of things uh, and eschatology is not on their radar, but I'd like to submit to you that it's, it should be something at least we have an understanding of because there's a major division amongst us. And they're s- simply stated, there are those Christians who believe God's finished with Israel because they rejected Christ. And as a result of rejecting Christ, now the gospel goes to the Gentiles and God's finished with them. If, they, if individuals want to believe, the Christian will say, great, we'd welcome them. And they would look at me, those who hold this position, and say, praise God, you're a believer, welcome into the body of Christ, and that's it. But God is finished with a, a literal physical Israel. And there are those in the church, of which I am one, and this assembly believes as well, that God isn't finished with Israel. That the promises that he gave that are not fulfilled have to be fulfilled because God says they have to be. And so that creates a mess. There's disagreement. There's, there's uh, problems that has been created as a result of Israel. You can change the, uh, there we go. Then there's Israel's politics, a constant distress. Before 1948, I really like this. Before 1948, if you were living in what is today Israel, you were a Palestinian. You need to know that. I know, I've actually met uh, Israelis today uh, who are Arab as well as Jewish who were Palestinians before 1948. They're Israelis today. We think of Israelis, we say, oh, they're Israeli, they're Jewish. Well, 75% of the Israelis are Jewish. 25% are Arab. All that means is that if you're an Israeli, you're a citizen of the nation of Israel. So you don't have to be Jewish to be a citizen of Israel. And before 1948, Everybody who lived in that land were Palestinians. So I can tell you that the Jerusalem Post, anybody here read the Jerusalem Post online? You could read it. Wonderful source of, great, of information, news going on in Israel. Uh, the Jerusalem Post has been around since 1948, but the, but the actual newspaper has been around since the 1920s. But from the time it was established in the 20s to 1948, it was called the Palestinian Post even though it was a Jewish newspaper. Now, those of you who like music, the Israeli Philharmonic Orchestra is a pretty well-known orchestra, but that Jewish orchestra was around before 1948, and it was called the Palestinian Philharmonic Orchestra. The reason I tell you that is to give you context that The Palestinians that we talk about today, the Palestinians that are under Mahmoud Abbas and before that Yasser Arafat, were a group of people without being a country. Oh, that's a controversial statement. But I'm telling you, there has never been a Palestine. That is a nation, a country called Palestine. There's never been a a president of Palestine. There's never been a capital of Palestine. In fact, again, if you, if you go back to history, when Jordan had what is called the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, the 
Jewish people call it, but the West Bank is simply land west of the Jordan. And between 1948 and 1967, that land, including uh, East Jerusalem, that that land was controlled by the Jordanians. And if it was Palestinian, well, the Jordanians, m many of them are Palestinian. You would think, oh, they'll move Amman, Amman, Jordan, and make the capital uh, East Jerusalem. Because after all, the third most important Islamic shrine is located there on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock. But that never happened. In fact, Jordan never did anything with it. And so we, we think in terms of that uh, place and thinking of Palestinians and who, who are they. And as a result, in 1948, when Israel was declared by the United Nations a country, immediately five nations attack Israel. You have to wonder. Uh, I know I've said it here. Those of you who are familiar with Mark Twain, he ended up taking a trip there. There's an interesting story about him uh, going to what is the Middle East uh, and how he got there and all that. But when he got there, he started to write about his journey. That's what he was hired to do. And he, he's writing about the land. And he said, there's nothing here. There, there's nothing here. It's a desolate, awful place. And indeed, when the Turks had it for 400 years, they passed legislation that said, I find this funny, and I, I think you'll be able to answer this question. If you had trees on your property, and Cincinnati or the area wherever you're living uh, told you, you know, you're paying this amount in taxes, but if you cut your trees, you'll cut your taxes. I think you'd be out there with a the chainsaw. That's exactly what happened in what is the land of Israel when it was occupied by the Turks. They had a tree tax. And that place was completely devoid of trees, which meant erosion became uh, not only possible, but happened, and it became an awful place for a number of, of years. But so the, in 1947, the UN passed legislation. Israel would have, was to be a country. 1948, it took place. And a war ensued. Five countries invaded Israel. And the 800,000 Jewish people or so that were there were attacked by some three million uh, of their enemy. And wouldn't you know, what most people thought would be a stillborn birth turned out to be a baby, alive. Not necessarily healthy, but alive, survived actually took some land and lost some land. They lost East Jerusalem. So Israel is now a country in 1948, but in 1967, nation to the north, Syria, nation to the south, Egypt, Jordan on the east, uh, three of them, and in six days. In six days, Israel took the Golan Heights up north, and those of you who've been to Israel have been up on the uh, up on the Golan Heights, an incredibly strategic piece of land where I was with a Green Beret my first time in Israel in 1982. Green Beret served in Vietnam, and he told me after we toured that land, he said, I honestly don't know how uh, from a military point of view 
that that could be taken. You see, they had, they had the high ground. They had it lined with mines. They were able to pick off people coming up no matter which way they came. They had bunkers built in. And Israel took it. And one of the ways they took it, it certainly through the Mossad, through uh, 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 intelligence that they had and used through some, some of their key staff. But one of the, the, the simplest ways to explain how they won was the people who were being bombed for 18 years, sniped at, were living in kibbutzes right below. A kibbutzim is a, uh, a community living arrangement. It's communist almost, if you will, but a group of people who live together, share their goods, uh, grow stuff, and share everything together. For 18 years, uh, there would be sniping and raids, and uh, they would have to farm with a, a rifle on their shoulder and, a, and, a, and a, a hoe in their hand. And those kids that grew up in shelters ended up being in the army. And so one of the ways to explain how could they take this land, it was conquered by 18, 19, 20-year-olds who had been bombed continually. It was their opportunity to bring safety to their kibbutz in the area. It's, an, it's a marvelous story and incredible to think about. Well, in addition to that, after the Six-Day War where they gained the Sinai, uh, they gained the Golan Heights, they took back Jerusalem and united it again. Uh, just six years later, the Yom Kippur War, we just celebrated, Jewish people just celebrated Yom Kippur. But in 1973, as the whole nation shut down, it's that way every year, this time, those same nations, Syria to the north, Egypt to the south, attacked during the Yom Kippur War and were advancing. And there's all kinds of stories, really, how uh, Israel should have lost that war, but they didn't. And uh, once again, Israel's preserved. And then the intifadas by the Palestinians, those of you who remember the intifadas, these were, these were uh, those who were committed to radical Islam, strapping bombs to their young people and uh, their theology telling them that they're going to be with 72 virgins immediately when they give up their life and take with them hundreds, dozens of people, whether they're in a wedding or they're in a, in a synagogue or whether they're in a pizza parlor. And so they had these intifadas, these terrorist attacks that were continually going on in the 80s and the 90s. There was a Lebanon war where Israel uh, actually went north and protected Lebanese Christians, wonderful stories of Christians who lived in the south of Lebanon who were being constantly harassed by Islamic terrorists. And for those years, Israel kind of camped in southern Lebanon and where the world was fixated against them. If you remember, those old enough to remember, news that came out almost every day about the Israelis who were uh, in southern Lebanon. And finally, they were asked and pressured by numbers of countries to get out, which they did, and now it's completely uh, dominated by Hezbollah, one of the terrorist groups. And then in Gaza, when Hamas was uh, elected to rule that area in the western part of Israel, that little piece of land just about, oh, 80 miles uh, uh, long and maybe a couple miles wide, and there was a war there. All this constantly taking place, if you'll switch the slide. 
Golda Meir, remember I gave you the Israeli test, the Israel test. Golda Meir, a famous quote, will say, when will peace come? This is from a secular woman, a secular Jewess. And here's what she said, peace will come when Arabs will love their children more than they hate us. It's true. It's, it's, a, it's been a constant struggle, a constant stress. The land uh, under constant difficulty. If you'll, yeah, there we go. Now, forensic evidence. I want to talk about the land. Now, I love this word, forensic. It makes whoever says it sound intelligent. Forensic. Uh, those of you interested in crime shows know about forensic evidence. You know, you could type in uh, forensic majors in college, and there's a whole slew of careers. Uh, there's forensic lawyers and uh, uh, investigators. Well, forensic scientists collect, preserve, and analyze scientific evidence during the course of an investigation. It's collected and analyzed scientifically. In other words, the art of study of argumentative discourse, scientific analysis of physical evidence as from a crime scene. Forensic simply means objective. At least that's the way I would define it. When you get forensic evidence, it is objective, it's not emotional, it's factual. So when we talk about whose land is it, certainly I could give you, and I will towards the end, I'll give you the biblical reasons why Israel belongs to the Jewish people. But you can give forensic evidence to demonstrate that it's absolutely true. It belongs to them on a forensic level. If you'll switch the... Let me give you the Jewish version. Beshert. Beshert is a Yiddish word that means it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Um, the land of Israel was meant for the Jewish people. It can be proved through literature, history, archaeology, international law, but it was promised by God Almighty. So we want to look at the forensic evidence that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. First, we want to look at literature. Now, I was supposed to bring, and I forgot it, uh, which is not, not so unusual for me, but I have a 1924 guidebook. I actually have it. I'll send a picture of it to Evan when I get it at, at home, so if any of you are interested in seeing it. And in 1924, this Islamic guidebook in Jerusalem talks about the Temple Mount. By the way, today, if you talk to Palestinians, Mahmoud Abbas, the leader, says there's never been any Jewish existence in Jerusalem. It's all a lie. And he'll say that in front of cameras. You can read about it in prominent newspapers. He'll quote it. We'll never recognize a Jewish state because there was never a Jewish presence. Well, forensically, that's simply not true. This guidebook, published in 1924 by an imam, talks about the Temple Mount as having the Davidic and Solomon Temple. Now, that's, that doesn't make us so excited. When I saw this, this particular booklet, I was very excited. Because that means, regardless of what they're saying now, the normal belief, the, and 
according to Islam, was that there was indeed a Jewish presence at the Temple Mount because Solomon had his temple there. Let me read to you uh, the Sheikh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Husani, who asserted that the early Muslim intellectuals recognized that Israel belonged to the Jews. You will find very clearly that the traditional commentators from the 8th and 9th century onward have uniformly interpreted the Quran to say explicitly that Eretz Yisrael, that is the land of Israel, has been given by God to the Jewish people as a perpetual covenant. Think about that. Literature, religious literature, of those who are enemies against the Jewish people are saying, yes, it's true. Military, what we went through each of those wars, why did I talk about all that? Well, I talked about all that because under international law, maybe Evan could help us out from his lawyering background, international law, United Nations, I could take you there and show you the paperwork where all the nations passed a law, a recognition that the nations of the world recognize Israel as a Jewish state. It's there. A colleague of mine who's with the Lord now was speaking at a church. He told me this, and it, it, it was hard for him to even tell me. He's one of the low-key guys uh, that I've ever met, a scholar on his own. Uh, he was speaking, and after he was speaking on the nation of Israel, similar to what I am talking about now. And afterwards, these people came up and said, "There, Israel, that land does not belong to them. It do, it's, it's not their right to have it." He said, "I don't know what you, what you're talking about. The United Nations passed; they, they have every right. Doesn't matter." He said, "I can shake, take you and show you the paperwork. It's there. It's on display. It doesn't matter." I don't know if that sounds familiar to you today in lots of fields of study, things that are factual or forensic, if you will, are just openly being denied. And I'm telling you, they've actually done movies in the past about no matter what a person sees, no matter what evidence is in front, deny, deny, deny. And you're seeing that today where people will simply not recognize law, international law, domestic law, and, and live and operate as though those laws don't exist. But under international law, they exist. Uh, and militarily, it exists. They were attacked. They defeated their enemy. Let me give you an example. In 1967, Israel wins an unprecedented war. They, they not only defeated their enemy, they humiliated their enemy. They turned back Egypt to the south. They turned Syrians to the north. They pushed back the Jordanians from the east. And as the victors, as the victors, they offered all three of them peace. And what I mean by that, actually offered land. As the victors, they offered land if they would negotiate for peace. And after that war, if you look it up, you can even Wikipedia, it's called the three no's and o of Khartoum. The Arab nations that were defeated met to decide whether they were going to take the victor's offer 
for peace. It's usually the other way around, but they approached them and said, we want peace. We don't want to do this. Well, let's negotiate. And the three no's were pretty famous. Three no's of cartoon. No negotiation. We recognize nothing from Israel. There is no way we're dealing with them. So the people who were defeated, humiliated, who were offered to have peace, didn't. That's forensic evidence. So the victors have won militarily. They have literature, objective literature, to support that they have a right to the land. And I have that beshert up there. Beshert, what's meant to be. And those of us who are believers, most of us, if not all of us in this room and who are listening, we're saying, wait a minute, Beshert, that's what God intended to be. And that's what I want to close with as we look at, this is not necessarily forensic, other than it comes from the scripture, and I can, I can demonstrate for you that the Bible's, Bible is indeed God's word and it's verifiable, but we're not going to go that way. But let me just go over this last part. I'd like you to turn, it's going to take a very short time as we close, but I'd like you to turn to Genesis 12. And if you jot these verses down, hopefully this will cement in your mind exactly why we believe that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people, that the land of Israel is theirs, it's God intended, it needs to be theirs, and we're going to show you why. First, in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, and from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 7. It's right after the text tells us that Abraham believed God and it was imputed, it was given, it was counted to him as righteousness. And in verse 7 it says, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. The text here is talking about land, physical land. You can hold it in your hands. He is promising Abraham, as a result of his leaving, as a result of his faith, he is promising him actually three things, a land, a seed, and a blessing. But here we're talking about the land. Then I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8. Genesis 17 and verse 8. Also, well, first let's go to verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So that's uh, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8. And now look at Genesis 28 and verse 13. So this land that was promised to Abraham is confirmed in Isaac. Remember, Abraham had more than one son. So the Bible tells us, no, this is Abraham, Isaac, and now in chapter 28 and verse 13, it tells us this. And behold, the Lord stood above it. That is this ladder that he gave to Jacob, his vision, 
he stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, east, north, and south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promised to Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. And, and those that covenant, that unconditional promise, which, by the way, go back to Genesis chapter 15. And most of you are aware, but nonetheless worthy to go back, where a covenant that was made in Abraham's day was cut. There was blood that was shed. When two people made a promise to each other, if you were buying a car in Abraham's day, you'd go, Abraham would go to the car dealer, he'd pick out his car, and the salesman would say, oh, we meet the price? Yeah, yeah, we, good trade-in value, everything's good. All right, let's make a contract. Well, today, when we do that, we sign our name to it. We take a loan somewhere, or if we're fortunate enough, we have all the cash, and we just pay it. But the idea is the paper has to be signed. And if you're taking a loan, the worst thing that could happen if you break your end of the bargain is the repo man will come and take your car away. But imagine if Abraham was buying a car in his day and he cut a deal. The deal was that the salesman who represent the car dealership and Abraham would lock arms and do a do si -do between cut animal, blood that is shed, and they'd walk together through those pieces. That's what takes place in Genesis 15. And the idea is they walk together and they say, if you break your side, so be to me what happened to these animals. And if I break my side, so be to me happen to these animals. The penalty is death. I don't think we'd sell many cars today. We wouldn't sell many houses today. And if we did sell them, there'd be a lot of deaths. Things happen. But you see, in this passage, after God gave a covenant to Abraham, he wanted to solidify it just the way they did in that culture. And so he told Abraham to get all those pieces together. And right before it was to happen, he put Abraham to sleep. Easy to do. Uh, today, after I uh, spoke here this morning, we went to a restaurant. Oh, man, came back. I was wiped out. I was in an Abrahamic sleep. I could tell you that. Well, Abraham's asleep, but what happens? God himself walks through the pieces. That's significant. It's not significant to us. We, there's nothing, we can't relate to any of that, not in the system we have. But if you understand the system and under, understand what happened, God was saying, you know what? This promise that I have given to Abraham as the God of the universe, I am guaranteeing by me, by me alone, that is powerful. That means from this point on, the promises that was passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's 12 sons to, yes, the Jewish people we read about later where Moses gives a conditional covenant, the law that the Jewish people said, oh, we want it. Oh, we'll take it. Oh, we'll do everything that it says. Well, liar, liar, pants on fire. You read the rest of the text after the Torah and you find out what Evan was telling me this morning about Ezekiel. Ezekiel's the prophet and said, don't you remember what you promised back then? You're in big trouble. And we didn't care. 
And I can tell you the same thing exists today, not just with the Jewish people, but with people in general. They don't care what God says. But in this case, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who guarantees the promise of the land, physical land that they can hold in their hands, the land that the Jewish people are in right now, and more. You see, when you read Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, you find out that the 10,000 square miles that Israel has, New Jersey-sized Israel, is but a portion of what the millennial Israel is going to be. The millennial Israel goes from the river in Egypt to the Euphrates River. It extends about 200,000 miles, something that Israel has never, the modern state has never tried to get, is never looking to get. They're just trying to live in peace in the little parcel that's been given internationally. But nonetheless, God is going to give it to them, not because they deserve it. We don't deserve salvation because we're such holy people. We deserve salvation because of the grace of God. The Jewish people don't deserve the land of Israel because they're such great people. God chose them as the fewest. God is in the business of showing his glory, of demonstrating who he is, of displaying his glory. The weak things of the world, he can make strong. He could take the, the weak and the humble and display them. And he does that individually for you and I. We are each trophies of God's grace. We are each people who, uh, my life's verse is the foolish things of the world confound the wise. That's right. God takes nothing and makes it something. The land of Israel belongs to Jewish people because God said so. That's all. God said so. And so as you look at that word beshert, Yiddish word, it's meant to be. There's actually a movie my wife and I have enjoyed a couple times. Uh, it's, it has to do with this whole thing. You're beshert. What's meant to be? My mother always talks about Oh, what's beshert is beshert. That's superstitious. What's meant to be is meant to be. She believes in just things happen for a purpose and everything you know, will work out. Well, if you put God in the equation, I might sign up for that. And as it comes, as we think about the land of Israel, why is that significant? I can't emphasize it enough. You're going to walk out here and say, okay, he talked about Israel, belongs to the Jewish people. I'm living... In a, in a pandemic, I'm living where it's craziness all around. What does that mean for me? Here's what it means for you. If God is faithful to the Jewish people, if God is consistent to them, if God is a promise-keeping God, if we can open our Bibles and say whatever God says, if he has a promise attached to it, it's going to happen. Boy, that's really important to me. When I wake up in the morning and I have things that I'm facing, I can come in prayer to a God who I know will, will keep the promises that he gave. One of which is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Take your burdens to Jesus and he will hear you. Burdens are lifted at, Cal at Calvary. Do you believe that? I believe it. And not only do I believe it, there's proof when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that's why Israel is significant. And that's why the land belongs to them. 
All the secular reasons are true, but it's the spiritual ones that should bring us hope. I remember this when I read Isaiah 53 back in 1975 on a prophet that wrote 700 years before Christ. I'd never read that passage in English ever in my life. I really wasn't familiar with it. I, I knew laws of the scripture and I knew how to kosher and all those things, but I didn't know that. And I'm telling you, when I read that prophetic chapter, which was already fulfilled in Christ, it brought a sense of enthusiasm, a sense of hope, a sense of purpose. Fulfilled prophecy is so important and it should energize us as believers. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I'm glad that uh, there's some folks at home and, and folks here who were willing to give up a portion of their Saturday evening. What in the world? To come to church during a time where we have to wear masks, it's a hassle. And yet they're here, willing to hear the word of God. And I'm, I'm just thankful that you gave me an opportunity to communicate this truth. And I pray that these promises that are given to a unique people at a unique time will encourage us as we are a unique called out people individually as well, that, that God called each of us uh, before creation. We were in your mind. And so I'm thankful for that truth. I ask, Lord, that you'd give us each a, a great evening and uh, tomorrow, whether here or on Zoom, as we fellowship together, as we break bread to remember the Lord Jesus, we're reminded that this night before in, in Jewish time is really already Sunday morning. And so I ask that you'd prepare our hearts already for tomorrow morning as we'll gather again and think about a promise-keeping God who back in Genesis chapter 3 promised the seed of the woman. And as we read the four Gospels, we realize that that seed of the woman came, came through a Jewish, a virgin, a Jewish virgin who conceived and bore a son, and he was God with us, fulfilling exactly what the scripture said, and how, how he was raised up in a Jewish home, how he had the command of the scriptures at such a young age, and grew in the knowledge and grace of God, and, and, and taught the scriptures, and provided miracles to authenticate who he is, but then rejected by the very people he came. Salvation is of the Jews, rejected. Suffers and dies, rises again as we'll remember tomorrow morning, and then births an, another people. Our people, today, the church, the living organism. Father, as we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us tomorrow morning, knowing that truth, Help us tonight to sleep well, comforted, knowing that the God of all comfort is there for us at any moment of any part of the day. What a blessing to know him. What an honor to be chosen by him. And what an honor to serve him. We ask that you'd help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.